questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight we discuss humanity's real enemy, the tyranny of the majority. The fact that we're not allowed to have an open debate on social media without censorship about the most important event in history is proof we are moving into the dangerous Orwellian territory of thought crimes. The saddest part being many people are actually cheering for their enslavement, which is exactly what George Orwell was trying to warn us about. Will there be violence involved? Maybe or maybe not. It will be done by a reputation capital or the currency of conformity. Be a good global citizen, they say. Make sure you will be an ESG asset to any future employer. ESG means environment, social, and corporate governance. Use the right language. Align yourself to the systems. Become the corporate purpose. Leverage yourself. Assuming your digital footprint has no impact on your future endeavors, friendships, and overall livelihood is a big mistake. Your digital footprint matters more than you know. And it is now crucial for every netizen to become aware of the digital breadcrumbs they leave behind, especially on social media. Why a positive digital footprint matters? A positive digital footprint signifies a good online reputation that lets you expand your social network and achieve your career goals. Whenever you go online, you create a digital version of yourself. All your posts, photos, videos, and comments can be accessed shared or stored by other members of the community. So keep in mind that at some point, someone will search for you online. It can be a future employer, a parent, a romantic partner, the police, a school, or even somebody who wants to harm you. Projecting a positive online image of yourself can have many benefits, including boosting your employment opportunities, expanding your audience if you are an artist or musician, helping you achieve your goals, nurturing healthy and meaningful relationships. And that is some of the plan they have in store for you as part of the fourth industrial revolution, which is nothing other than the fourth Reich. If you want to learn more, stay with us. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, Rebounders, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, Want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback? Just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Dr. Julianne Romanello, Ph.D., earned her doctorate in political philosophy from Baylor University in Waco, Texas, in 2012. While at Baylor, Ms. Romanello earned the Richard D. Huff Distinguished Graduate Student in Political Science Award and passed BHE comprehensive examinations with distinction. She is the author of many publications, a wife, mother of four children, educator, and researcher. Her website is heartsoverhexagons.com. 
Professor Julianne Robinello joins us from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hello, Julianne, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? I'm fine. I'm so glad to be here, Mel. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And every time I have you on, I always say the same thing. In fact, I was interviewed yesterday, and I mentioned you on that radio program. Uh, there's people that I know that maybe have, I don't know if I can say the word, woken up in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as when you talk to them now, it's as if they've accumulated 50 years of information, the acceleration of knowledge that some of these people, including you, it just amazes me when I read your, your Facebook posts all the time. I'm thinking she's diving deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. Where are you now? Well, you know, it seems like it changes from week to week. You know, something will hit me and I'll think, I need to write about this or that or the other. Um, you know, recently I've been looking a lot at at the influence that Israeli cyber uh, technology companies have over U.S. critical infrastructure. So that's been something that has really taken up, I would say, a lot of my time, you know, just not trying to find out who runs, you know, the electrical grid that powers American homes, you know, who uh, keeps, you know, our, our defenses safe, you know, who prevents hackers from coming in and, and stealing state secrets, you know, who is responsible for smart city infrastructure. And, you know, because of my particular circumstances in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, and, you know, I've talked about how I took this deep dive and it has to do with my university or where I used to teach and and a philanthropist who took it over. And so there are some particular uh, circumstances that have pointed me in the direction of these cyber technology companies. And. Um, it was, it was troubling to see it happen in Tulsa, you know, to see the presence of, of smart technology here and to be able to trace it back to, you know, guys like Michael Bloomberg and George Kaiser. He's my billionaire that I'm constantly pestering. Um, but then I found out, well, this is really, uh, a nationwide national security issue, I think. So, so I've been looking at that a lot and, you know, other things like reputation capital, that is a phrase that, um, that probably people need to become more familiar with. It's essentially credit, uh, social credit scoring, but it is a sneakier phrase. It's one that the corporate marketers love to use and it doesn't, trigger people the way that this the phrase social credit scoring does. So I've been looking at reputation capital and how uh, employees of large corporations are going to have to really watch their reputation capital, not only when they're at the office or on the clock, but also in their personal lives. Uh, because that that reputation capital score is going to factor into the value of their employer uh, 
their the corporation. So those are some of the things that I've been looking at. <laughs> but like I say, it, yeah, it changes it changes from week to week. It seems <laughs> it does. Well, it, this is a, a multifaceted approach to the Great Reset. But reputation capital equals the currency of conformity. In, in essence, folks, you have to be a good global citizen. And I have to just play homage to to Hillary Ramo, who passed away a couple of years ago. She was a good friend of this program. And we discussed this topic many, many years ago. And we were just saying it. The, the Sesame Social Score is making its way here. And I remember how many people wrote to us saying, you know, this show is turning into science fiction. You're watching too much Black Mirror uh, and Nosedive. And well, it's right in front of our doors now. I believe that insurance companies are already equipped and have the algorithms to start playing uh, with this, this social score. Uh, COVID, uh, the, the COVID ID passport, uh, the Great Reset, it's all connected to this reputation capital that you're discussing, right? Yes, and I'm so glad that you mentioned the insurance companies because essentially the whole economy of the Great Reset is based on a predictive risk uh, modeling um, ecosystem. You know, that's their term, ecosystem. And it functions like an insurer would. So insurers make their money by, you know, placing bets on the likelihood that something will or will not happen and they'll have to pay out for it, right? So what we need to think of is that the Great Reset really is like um, it. it is like an insurance company is managing the entire human race and the entire planet. <laughs> you know, they're, they are gathering tons of data and coming up with these uh, social credit scores or, um, you know, like health factors for each person or wellness factors or um, the likelihood that you would engage in speech that might be offensive to someone. I mean, you name it, any kind of index that there is, the the data accumulators, <laughs> they are going to be grabbing it and using it uh, to basically place big bets on the likelihood that you will engage in some kind of behavior, you know, that you'll uh, exhibit some kind of conduct in your life that that either conforms to or um, is in opposition to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, because that's what those are the goals that are the benchmarks for the Great Reset and stakeholder capitalism and all this. So, you know, if you think about this, is one thing that I one analogy that I try to use with the normies, and there are fewer and fewer of them lately. You know, I think you're right. People are sort of waking up after two and two plus years of this charade, uh, the Corona apocalypse. Um, but one, one analogy that I try to use with them is to say, you know, how many times have you called your family physician and you've, you've discussed some kind of treatment, maybe it's a medication, maybe it is, you know, physical therapy or who knows a procedure that you need, you think you need. And your physician tells you, oh, well, I would love 
to order that for you, but the insurance companies won't let me, right? Like people have heard that a lot. That's something that almost everyone is familiar with. That is the way that the Great Reset is going to work. And, you know, you're going to have these large corporations that have decided on these uh, different goals of conduct. Um, you know, like I said, they're basically linked to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And they're, these large companies are going to make big bets on whether or not you are going to comply with those goals, whether or not you as an employee are going to increase or decrease your employer's um, ESG ratings, all of that. And based on all of the data that's harvested through these digital passports, through the Internet of Things, you know, they're going to come up with formulas and or like that are like a formulary, you know, that we know of in like medical insurance. And they're going to say, we're going to allow this for you in your life or we're going to prohibit you from doing this. And and that's what I mean, I think that that's really a terrible future for for us, you know, but especially for our children, you know, because their lives are going to be measured and managed just like patients at a doctor's office. You know, they you know, you see we've heard even with the covid scare, you know, people have complained about medical malpractice and They've talked about, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll sort of be cautious in what I say here, but, you know, you know what I really think of this stuff. Sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, there have been many discussions that I've been privy to that have said, you know, there were doctors who maybe would have chosen a different treatment uh, routine for say, a COVID patient, but they were told by higher ups in their administration, maybe it's their particular group or maybe it's a hospital or whatever, that they have to follow an AI-generated protocol for treatment. And if they divert from that protocol, you know, they can be sanctioned, they can lose their license um, and maybe be fined or something like this. So they go along with this AI generated protocol that ends up harming people. Uh, and there's really their choice as a physician, as a professional is taken away. And then, you know, God help the poor patient that is, that is being treated in this way. People need to understand that is the model for our lives. Well, I have it's just seen, terrible. I have seen the protocols that they're using or were at least using until recently in hospitals, yeah. and I like you, I like to watch my words, because I want to put this on YouTube, the first segment, and <laughs> as you know, the, their AI looks at every single word, so I'll be yes. careful, but the protocol that I've heard from many people, it's that you go into the hospital with hypoxia, it, they follow the protocol with remdesivir, or as some call it, yes. run death is near, yes. which runs with remdesivir, then intubation, then sedation, and then death. And then it comes all the profits they get for every single aspect of what just, I just mentioned, not only to death, but the actual report from the pathologist. If the person did not die of it, but the 
pathologist says, yes, the person died of CV, they also get money. You've heard that too, right? I have. I have. And I mean, I know someone very close to me and I, and she lost her husband in that exact way. And I am convinced that it, that it was deliberate. Um, so yeah, I mean, what we're living through right now, I think this, I think this is probably a time like no other. It's just when you, it's hard to even say these things out loud, like, like, you know, to be talking seriously, um, to be convinced as you and I are, and I think we wouldn't be convinced if we didn't have very solid evidence of this. Uh, but the fact that we're able to have this conversation seriously about the intentional deaths of so many people, it's just, I don't know, it, it's really overwhelming. <laughs> it's awful. Well, at least that should make everyone question the motives when they tell you one thing. Look the other way. You know, in the past, yeah. let's go, go back to the social score. In the past, when those in power wanted to change society's behavior, they traditionally used violence or coercion. But they don't have to do that anymore. All they need to do is look at your social score, talk about data mining, in order to mold your behavior like Pavlov did. They're taking yeah. data mining to a, a new level with social media, digital, digital cash, well, I don't know, call it digital cash, digital currency to determine your purchasing habits. Let's say you go to the grocery store and you buy, say you buy liquor. Immediately, they know, they go to an insurance company and maybe the next day they say, I'm sorry, but your insurance policy has been canceled. Everything has to be connected. Or you go to the airport and they say, well, you were talking to Professor Romanello yesterday and you said a few things we don't agree with. You know, there's the train station right there, Amtrak, that's going to take you from here to there in 36 hours as opposed to two hours. Behave for two weeks. Do some public work for, for you know, for two, three weeks and we'll let you back in, in uh, on, on the airplane. So they're going to just shape your behavior without having to fire a single bullet. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know. Alexis de Tocqueville worried about the tyranny of the majority, and we are there, you know? Um, I mean, I guess it, you know, it's, I would say it's coming from the elites from the very top, but it has permeated society to the point that people are self censuring, you know? And that is because we know what, what the, potential consequences are, you know, like I'll say a lot of things online. I, I, I made it a policy when I got a social media account and I thought I'm going to do activism on social media. You know, my thought was it, you can't do it halfway. You really have to either put yourself all the way out there, you know, knowing what, you know, full well, what you're getting into, or it's not going to be effective and probably you will have worse consequences in terms of um, repercussions for your truth telling if you try to guard something. So I've just always been very open about what I say. Uh, even so, you know, there are a few things that, you know, for the sake of my family, I don't 
say. Um, and also just because, you know, I've seen some of the legislation that's coming out about, like, for example, domestic terrorists. And, you know, I think, well, I'll just be honest with you here, Mel. Like, I think we need to be talking about overthrowing <laughs> or our government, you know, like, or really, I guess I prefer the term like restoring it back to some bare bones version of the Constitution, maybe just the Bill of Rights even. But I think, you know, so maybe it's not an overthrowing, maybe it's a restoration. But but that's a conversation that I think people need to be having. When you look at what is going on in our country, you know, if, if we do not want to live in this social credit scoring tyranny, then we're going to have to act. And that means you have to talk about acting. And where where do we do that? Well, I, I have a large audience online, so it makes sense pragmatically for me to talk about that online. And technically, there is the First Amendment that protects free speech. But still, just like you say, we are living in in inverted times. And so even I am a little bit cautious about saying things like that online, you know, so, so really, I guess what I'm getting to is that, you know, we're, they don't even have to impose those penalties, you know, for like making your insurance premiums go up or your train ride longer, because we know that the penalties exist. So, even those of us who are pretty brave, I would say, you know, we're censuring ourselves because we have, I think, an accurate understanding of where this is going. So it really is, it is about information warfare and it's about controlling behavior. And that's another thing that people really need to understand when we get into the Great Reset economy or the Build Back Better or the New World Order, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be an economy of, of, of behavior, prescribed behaviors. You know, if you use too much uh, water taking a shower, you're going to have to make up for it, not with your income, not with money that you have in a bank, but with your behavior. So you're going to have to scrimp on maybe your electricity usage. And that's how we get this uh, sustainable economy, this balanced load of inputs and outputs that these systems engineers just love. They love the idea of that. And I think that they, on a spiritual level, a psychological level, I think that they just love seeing people, you know, jump through hoops. I think they enjoy it. So they, I, I think... One thing people need to understand is that, you know, our, you know, our purchasing power is, it's not really that important anymore, you know, because the people who are running this show, they have so much money, they don't care about that. What they want to see is, is behavior that, that is, let's say it's a deliberate turning away from from free will, you know, people are giving up their free will because they want to survive, because they want to participate in this the social system. And I think that these 
these psychopathic <laughs> social engineers, you know, I think that they just enjoy it. So it's going to be managing, you know, good behavior. And if you mess up, you're going to have to make up for it, you know, not by paying a, a fine for a ticket, but by doing, say, community service and, you know, in like service of maybe some woke ideal or something like that. It's just, it's twisted. So that's why I, you know, I, I do try to go as far as, as I can go with speaking out against it because I can't imagine my kids having to live through that. I can't imagine anyone's kids having to live in that kind of sadistic world. And I think that's probably the biggest incentive for you and I to do what we do because the last thing we want is 10, 20 years down the road, have our kids look at us and say, did you do something about this? And I'm sure that you and I will gladly say, believe <laughs> me, we tried. Short of losing our lives, we tried. But I have yeah. to say, I think the humanity's real enemy right now is the tyranny, as you said, the tyranny of the majority. All these people that continue to comply, 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 comply from day one, boosting and their double masks and shields and so on. All of a sudden, from one day to the other, they forget about it because they realize mm, maybe we were duped. But can you please, powers that be, replace with something, something else? The next morning, I stand with Ukraine. There's my yellow and, and blue flag to just yeah. let the world know that I stand with Ukraine without knowing an iota of the history of what's happening. And I'm not, again, I, I keep saying this in every interview, I'm not defending Putin. I'm just stating facts, just finding the truth. I don't think he's starting a war. I think he's ending what started with the coup d'etat in 2014 so that Ukraine can be neutral can prevent Ukraine from being part of NATO because it's obvious to me the real goal here is to destabilize Russia, get rid of Putin, and bring back what? The oligarchs. The same oligarchs that handle the United States and Europe. Those oligarchs used to exist in the Soviet Union, and in the 90s when Clinton was there, they raped that country to nothing. And Putin came along 20 years ago, and well, it's a different story now. They don't want a sovereign country. They don't want decentralization. They want to centralize all the power between all these oligarchs so that they are the ones that control the people, let the people be poor, just like in any communist country. Just because you think it's a communist country, you're going to have a very small minority at the top that have the billions of dollars from the population. And that's what they want with Russia. They cannot let one of the biggest uh, lands in the, in the world uh, be sovereign have their own ruble, no petrodollar, and so on. Right, yeah. I mean, I think you're right on that, and I think that they also want to create this dialogue of East versus West so that, you know, there's an excuse to roll out more and more cybersecurity um, to militarize, you know, different domestic systems in the name of, you know, uh, preventing Eastern aggression, you know, uh, I think that that's a big component of it too. I mean, just like you said, these, you know, we're ruled by these oligarchic mafias <laughs> that, you know, they, they 
understand the chessboard. They are moving the pieces around. They're looking at it from a perspective that most of us don't have. I mean, you know, you and I, are we're, we're always reading many different sources and trying to get to that perspective uh, and see it for ourselves. But most most people aren't. Um, and these mafiosos, and I think that's a really helpful way of thinking about these people. You know, it's come up. I've had a conversation with a friend who is here in Oklahoma, and he writes a lot of books. And, you know, he has written some on 9-11 and on uh, the revolution in Libya, or I'm sorry, in Lebanon. And he talks a lot about how democratic nations, uh, you know, nations where popular sovereignty it seems to be a principle of, of rule, they fall into these power systems that really are governed by the mafia, <laughs> you know, and they act like a mafia and, and you know, they reward people and they coerce people and use violence against people just like Tony Soprano would do, you know. Um, so I think when you have somebody like Putin, you know, I mean, he was former KGB. He sort of was in that. He was close to that group, but he has been a renegade and he's tried to break out of I think the what the mafia tolerates, and so yeah, there are going to be repercussions on him, and and then on you know those of us here in the United States who who are starting to see what's going on and want to fight against it. You know, you have to have a way to suppress free speech. You have to have a way to institute more surveillance here to control what might be a popular uprising or an attempt to overthrow the government here. And so, again, you stoke these tensions between the Ukraine and Russia and you you ramp up a narrative of hostility that suits those oligarchs who are in power and that dupes the majority. And here in the States, you know, and I think probably in other Western countries, though I haven't really paid too much attention to how it's being received in like places like Europe or um, uh, you know in England and some of the other Five Eyes countries uh, you know here I think you have so many people that are on the side of Ukraine and oh Russia is so bad and they're just going to they're just going to take it when this this surveillance state rolls out to an even greater degree than it than it's already been you know it's just going to be it's going to be like 9-11 all over again except <laughs> we except that we're not seeing the blast here you know so i i don't know how you bust up the mafia but man i sure would like to do it <laughs> don't we all but I think that they're, they're telling us a lot of times in false flags, they, they tell us in advance and only a few people get it. They've been telling us publicly in the past few weeks that Russia, quote unquote, Russia is preparing a cyber attack to, to the United States. 
And if that ever happens, oh, it's, 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 everything goes if that ever happens. So imagine this, and I don't mean to put this in the minds of anybody because as you, as you know, we manifest the thoughts that we entertain, but we also have to be prepared. If they do that, if one, one day, maybe on a Tuesday morning, they love Tuesday mornings. Tuesday mornings, we wake up in the morning and then your lights don't turn on or your internet is out or your cell phone signal is off or you can't turn on your car. A multiplicity of, of things could happen. And all of a sudden you start hearing on the radio, not on TV, on the radio, because that's the only thing that's, that's available. And they tell us the Russians did it. And President Biden and his cabinet and the Pentagon are preparing how to respond. And by the way, because banks are out, we realize that cash is going to be outlawed and we're going to be coming out with a United States coin, digital coin. Once the computers come back up, all your cash cannot withdraw from the bank. Maybe it's going to be, uh, if you had X amount yesterday, maybe you'll have 10% the next day as they change the, 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 the currency. And then you have more control over the population. We start a war. They start a draft. And by the way, just because they haven't had a draft since Vietnam, folks, that's still on the table. So all of you out there that have children, that are keep pushing, I stand with Ukraine, I want to be able to go there and kick some butt. Just think of your children next time, because the draft is still on. Yes, and you know, in the most recent uh, National Defense Authorization Act, they included a provision where females can be drafted. This is the first right. time ever that that has, has been on the table. And you know, the thought, I have three boys and one girl, and I, I don't want any of those four serving in in a conflict that's over something that is absolutely opposed to their best interest, you know? And, and I say that with, you know, having a deep respect for like the men and women who have served in our armed services. Um, you know, my, my father and my grandfather were in the air force and I've always been very proud of that, you know? So, so I have a deep respect for, for that way of life. Okay. But knowing what we know about the kinds of wars that have been on our national agenda since, especially since the nineties and, I, w I don't want my children serving there, but I really don't want my daughter to, you know, to go. And and I would do everything that I possibly could to protect her from something like that. Um, so, yes, people need to be very aware of the possibility of a draft. I think that we would not have a draft until a, a national digital ID was fully implemented. You know, I think they they would wait to start some kind of mandatory um, military service requirement until they have a way to make sure that they're not going to have any draft dodgers, you know, and that's going to be through surveillance and through a digital ID. Um, but, yeah, I think that we're going to hear that narrative just amped up, amped up. Oh, yeah, Russia's going to attack China is going to attack our critical infrastructure. And, you know, 
really, Mel, I mean, I think that is going to be the excuse that that the United States uses to partner more and more closely with these um, very high tech uh, cyber technology firms that that are located in Israel, <laughs> you know, and, and I have been looking at a lot of the partnerships that are going on in our, you know, in national defense agendas and just plain cybersecurity agendas in um, state initiatives that come under um, public services like um like school safety, you know, Rhode Island is partnering with these uh, Israeli cyber firms um, to manage the reopening of schools. You know, that started way back uh, after the uh, pandemic was announced. But then also you have chambers of commerce in each of, of our states, the 50 states. I mean, I haven't looked to make sure it's in every one of the 50 states, but it's in most, you have a special like Texas-Israel alliance, and it's all centered around high-tech drones, electric vehicles, and cybersecurity like software and things. And so that that concerns me a lot because, you know, we keep hearing in the press, in many different press outlets from different places all over the world, that, you know, U.S. hegemony is in decline. Like, we are on the, we're at the end of an era. The dollar is going, not, it's going to be replaced as the Federal Reserve currency, excuse me. Um, Our economy is not as strong as it once was because we are a service-oriented economy, and now most of us, <laughs> we don't even know how to make anything or how to do anything if, like you say, if the if the lights go out, if the electric goes out, you know, and we're trying to fend for ourselves, we don't really have the infrastructure anymore to create the goods that we need. So, you know, the United States is really in, in a pretty bad spot um and we're here we're hearing that all over so that makes us you know i one thing that i look at a lot is like how the how corporate models are being applied in many different sectors of of our lives you know and i started with that because you know i looked at why my university was taken over and restructured and it was essentially a corporate takeover by some philanthropists and they were high-tech investors and bankers and and also you know invested in oil and gas but betting against oil and gas and now pumping tons of money into renewables which um well you know that could be good if the technology were really sustainable and environmentally friendly, but at this point, I don't think it is. Anyway, looking at how that model of a corporate takeover was used at my university, you know, I just started seeing it everywhere. And really, when you think of, okay, when do corporate takeovers occur? They occur when when one corporation is weak, (laughs) you know, and then 
another larger one can go acquire it or merge with it or whatever the case may be, buy up the equity shares. Well, the the United States is in that position right now. And so I think the the many partnerships that are being made, especially with these very high-tech elite cyber technology firms that are based in a foreign country, you know, those are, that is very concerning to me as an American, because I think where, who's going to, who's going to have the American people's best interest in mind once these partnerships are effective in so many states and so many areas of the economy, whether it, you know, in so many different service uh, sectors, you know, who, who's going to stick up for the voice of the people and representative government? I don't think anyone is. When you look at how public-private partnerships work, you know, it's always the public that loses out. And, and the private always gets the upper hand, mainly because they have more money. You know, they have, they have the resources to force the other partner into compliance. So what, what I think is, is likely just over the horizon is the sort of corporate takeover of the United States by these financial and and high-tech cyber interests that are based largely in a foreign country. Let, so, me, let me unpack a lot of what you said. <laughs> we'll come back to all of this, but let me just not forget the draft for a moment, because I think for the time being, we have some good news. This comes directly from military.com. And let me just read this. It says, Women will not have to sign up for a potential draft anytime soon. And this is from December 7th, 2021. Women will not have to sign up for a potential draft anytime soon after an effort to add them to the selective service system was dropped from a sweeping defense bill. A congressional aide confirmed to military.com that a provision that would have required women to register for the draft will not be in the compromised version of the National Defense Authorization Act that is expected to be released later Tuesday. The outcome, which was first reported by Politico, comes as a surprise since the provision was included in both the House and Senate versions of the NDAA and had bipartisan bipartisan support. And this has been pushed since 2015. I think all this equality language that we've seen in the past decade. Uh, Women are the same as men, blah, blah, blah. They need to be in the battlefield too. I think all that contributed to this. Now, let me just go about electric vehicles. You mentioned electric vehicles. It's so laughable. Pete Buttigieg, (laughs) or however you pronounce his last name, the Secretary of Transportation, (laughs) keeps telling us, well, if the price gas is too high and you can't afford your your current car, then buy a $60,000 electric vehicle, which is the stupidest thing you could ever hear. But let me just read this. To manufacture each electric vehicle auto battery, you must process 25,000 pounds of brine for the lithium, 30,000 pounds of ore, for the cobalt, 5,000 pounds of ore for the nickel, and 25,000 pounds of ore for copper. 
All told, you dig up 500,000 pounds of the Earth's crust for one single battery. And if I had to guess right now, what percentage of the population owns an electric vehicle? I would say it's a, it's a fraction of the entire population. And as it is, I've, I've heard from people in California who experience blackouts because more and more people are buying these EVs. And in one single street of a neighborhood, you can only have one or two maybe. If you have more than that, you're going to cause trouble in the entire street. So imagine what this is going to happen with the entire infrastructure. And by the way, those people who say, there's no emissions, Mel, there's no emissions. <laughs> well, for you to be able to get that electricity, it comes from somewhere that's burning coal. Yes. <laughs> Same thing with the, I see, I go to Mexico all the time and around my, where I own property, we have this two big windmill, what do you call it, the... Uh, the windmills, the turbines, turbines yeah. exactly, two of them, massive. Each one is just absolutely massive. And I know, I have done my research, those, they have to be, you cannot recycle them, you have to bury them somewhere. All that oil is sipping through the water supply, and it's just, financially, is not feasible. It always has to be when the government gets involved is when people buy these things. But if a company had to buy those because they really wanted to do the right thing and, 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 and engaging in, in conscious capitalism, it would never work with the technology that we have in place. Right. Yeah. And, you know, with electric vehicles, I mean, this is a point I like to make is that if your social credit score is not up to up to par, then you won't be allowed to charge, to charge your vehicle. You know, I mean, that's electric vehicles are a mechanism of control because you can, the, the powers that be can control your access to the electricity that you need to charge that battery, right? Like with gasoline, you can put it in a container and transport it on your own without being monitored, but that's not the same with electric vehicles. When you plug in, you know, it's there will be, you know, some kind of sensor or QR code or whatever it is that identifies whose vehicle is being charged, whose carbon credit account is attached to that particular, you know, uh, charging session or whatever. And, and if you have been, you know, if you've been naughty, then you're not going to be allowed to to fuel up so that you can go to work. Um, that I, and I hadn't even thought about what you said. Just the drag on on the system in particular neighborhoods and how that could increase, you know, localized blackouts. I mean, it it, it is all around a terrible idea. And these new vehicles, they're they're totally hackable, you know? I mean, you saw, I'm sure, the the requirement that kill switches be yeah. installed in new vehicles that are made after, I can't remember the particular date. Um, but everything that is electric, you know, all of this electric, um, you know, innovation, like revamping fuel uh you know fuel combustion engines and things like this it's all for track and trace control of the the world's energy you know it's not at 
all, like you point out, it's not at all about protecting the natural environment. In fact, it does the, the exact opposite. What it's really about is measuring, you know, electricity can be measured. It can be managed. It can be cut off. Gasoline, not so much, you know. Um, but because of how electric delivery works, just like the meter on your house, it, they know how much goes in, how much is taken out, and and it can be shut off remotely when you have not done what the powers that be want you to do. When you have so much push to do something, including solar panels, I get probably once a week over 30 cards Get solar panels, solar panels, free, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. There's no, no such thing as a free lunch, first of all. And when you get so much push to do something, what if I get the solar panels and then I give more control to the local government to disconnect me whenever they please? But about electric cars again, in the winter months, folks, when term, and by the way, I know a lot of my listeners have Teslas and electric cars, so this is not about you, folks. I'm just explaining the overall strategy that they have in place in the winter months when temperatures fall below 20 degrees electric car batteries take a major hit and this is a study by AAA. they found that if you use your electric car's heater while driving in cold temperatures your range can be temporarily cut by as much as 41 percent now imagine wow. in the next 10 years we get maybe 10 20 percent of the population that bikes electric cars imagine what happens in the northern hemisphere in december in the winter months What's going to happen when all these cars, they lose power in the middle of the highway? Not only that, but what you just said about the kill switch. It's not only the kill switch. Tesla, for example, they have something that you have to agree to when you buy a Tesla, is that they control your car whenever they want to. If you even miss a payment or two, not sure exactly how many, the car, unless it's inside of your garage, but if it's anywhere else, they can pilot that car automatically back to the dealership. They take it from you. They don't need they don't need a repo agent to go and take it on a on a uh, tow truck. It basically escapes and it goes back to the dealership because you haven't paid. Wow, I did not know that, but that just reminds me of something that I was looking at when we saw that all of the. Um, I like to call it a stinger, like the stinger mandates were coming yep. out for businesses, you know, and businesses were threatened with these huge fines that they would have to pay uh, for going against the OSHA regulation. And, you know, I, I was just thinking, well, these businesses shouldn't, they just shouldn't pay, you know, they they should refuse in mass to pay any of these fines because they're ridiculous and, you know, they're going to harm their employees. I mean, it's going to make these corporations complicit and, and I, murder, you know, really. Uh, but once we move to a digital currency, that is not possible. You know, deciding that you're not going to pay something that you – you want to dispute that is absolutely not an option so that it just when you mentioned about the about tesla having full control over your vehicle uh it's the same type of thing whatever we're moving to when we're moving to electrical systems and to digital systems digital currency we lose all 
control, we lose all, all ability to say no. Uh, you know, we're going to have government by the Borg, you know, from Star Trek. And there's going to be no one that you can complain to because all of the algorithms are just going to be programmed into the system. And it, it is going to be just like an endless loop of, you know, when you call for service, you know, to some company and you have to maybe for, you need a warranty work on your dishwasher and you call and you have to press so many numbers and then they make you wait and then you know it says what kind of issue are you having and you try to say it the right way i mean the before i knew about the larger picture with the new world order and all of that i just remember thinking this kind of automated call service nightmare is that's going to be the thing that throws me over it's going to push me over the edge i'm just going to go nuts in this 21st century weird world because you have to you know just wait through these senseless scripts that are produced in the name of efficiency well that is exactly what all of these technologies contribute to whether it is the you know the the cars that can be hacked and remote controlled and taken back to the dealership whether it's a digital currency that can be automatically removed from your account whether it is a speeding ticket that's sent to you because you went too quickly and the cameras on your traffic signals caught you um we're going to be stuck in these loops of, of maybe trying to fix some situation, but we're going to have no one really to, no human person to go to and explain, here's what's really going on, and can you use some, you know, you can see that this is wrong. Please use your discretion to make this right. Um, you know, that's what the term equity used to mean in jurisprudence was, you know, sort of adjusting things to how they ought to be on the basis of common sense and fairness, you know, and, and I'm hearkening back to an old common law tradition there, not like John Rawls, Justice's Fairness, this um, neoliberal stuff that has come out of the Ivy Leagues. Uh, so, with that older notion of equity, there was the idea that sometimes general principles need to be adjusted to particular circumstances. And so you would, you would hope that you might have a judge or some official or, you know, just two people who are dealing with each other in a mature way that could use some discretion. They could draw on their human experience and, their maturity to to say, okay, well, in this circumstance, we need to we need to make sure that the particular circumstances of this limited event are are entertained, and that this prin- this general principle of justice is able to comprehend those particular circumstances in in a way that really is overall in line with justice, right? 
Well, we've gotten away from that, and we are just moving to this technological system of of not thinking at all, you know. And yet, well, see, now I'm just reminding myself of other things that you and I have talked about. You know, smart cities, they're the opposite of smart, right? <laughs> like you, the, everything is just going to be done for you. It's going to be government by algorithm. It's going to be policing by machines and algorithms and you know, you don't have to have any decision-making capability of your own to live in them. In fact, that's dangerous. They don't want you to be a mature thinking person in a smart city. And so, you know, I I wish that more people could (laughs) see how anti-human this entire project is, how infantilizing it is like why does tesla get to tell an owner of a car that he or she has to you know give it up (laughs) you know i mean there should be a a discussion that goes on there should be processes maybe of mediation of looking at contracts of things um you know explaining both sides of it and then coming to an agreement there should not be these automatic uh you know penalties that just kick in um you know on a on an across the board general level uh it's really it's really insulting to the human intellect to the human spirit and that's i guess that's why i say it's anti-human in in every way this is the part that i wish more people understood because they are literally dehumanizing. I mean, let's not be hypocrites. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I use technology just like I use a knife to cut an apple. They, they, whoops, can you hear me okay? I can, you're a little, yeah, there there's, we go. There's like a little fuzz there. Yeah, a little fuss here. Just bear with me for one second. I don't know what's okay. happening. Well, why don't we just break so that I can reset this? And I want to ask you when we come back. Why is it that Tulsa is becoming kind of a a beta test of the future, reset the future smart city? Also, I want to discuss how we can untap ourselves from this. Because in the future, if you haven't watched the TV series Colony, and I know we still have the the sound, I'll, I'll address it in a moment. If you haven't watched Colony, folks, watch it on Netflix. They want to geofence every single city. You won't be able to get out. Maybe your car will shut down. I'm here with Professor Julian Romanello. Julian, how can people learn more about your work? Well, I have a totally public profile on Facebook. That's where I am most active. And it's just Julianne Romanello. And you'll see I have a black shirt that says Resist the New World Order. And then I also have a website, and that is www.heartsoverhexagons.com. Wonderful. And by the way, I just fixed the problem. But this is Mel Hasselrake. My special guest today is Professor Julianne Ramanello. And we have so much more. One more hour when we come back. This is Mel Hasselrake, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, 
cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know. Thank you.